Talk Radio 191 FM podcast. Mr. Speaker. Alright, it is that time of a Monday morning, it's 8.30, it's time for politics, and this morning um, Vivian's MIA, so it's just myself and John at this point in time, Morena to you John. Yes, kia ora koutou. How are you? Not too bad. Marvellous. Um, okay, it's an election special, there's elections all over the shop, mm. uh, we're going to look at a couple that have been, and we're going to start off with one that is just around the corner, uh, the EU. It's about to go to the polls. Um, the UK should have been Brexited by now. Yes. Um, so it's interesting that they're going to be voting in an election which will may possibly have not much to do with them, although it still is very important for the Brits, especially for a couple of reasons, including uh, the party that is leading in their race to um, represent yes. the UK in... Um, the in Brexit Europe. Party. The Brexit Party. Nigel Farage. Yes. Did uh, you ever get to interview him, Jamie? No. You didn't? No. Oh. No, I tried and it didn't work out. That's a shame. But they're polling higher than the UK Labour Party and the Conservatives combined. Mm, incredible. Absolutely it, incredible. Yeah, especially for a party that's been around for, what, six months? Oh, I think it's only been around no a lot a lot less time than that jesus yeah but um, i mean what are the uk elections all about how do they work how is each country represented uh, represented and is it um on a pop- is it a population type deal mm. what, what what actually happens so in each country uh political parties stand under their national names so in, in britain it's a it's a general parties conservatives labor liberals um ukip they're still around, but not probably very well. And now the Brexit Party, once those parties get into the European Parliament, though, they tend to form blocks with other parties yeah. that, are, that are similar to them. So there's like a centre-left block in the European Parliament, centre-right block, there's far-right blocks and far-left blocks, etc. But there's no compulsion, but you basically get more resources and have more power if you, if you form blocks with other political parties. Now, the European elections happen every five years for all EU citizens um, and the, the votes generally are meant to be proportional so it's not a first past the post system that if uh, Labour and Britain gets 20% of the European Parliament votes they should get roughly 20% of the allocated seats uh, yes the amount of seats a country gets is weighted towards their population so um, um, Germany for example has 96 seats where smaller countries like Luxembourg and Malta, Cyprus uh, have 6 seats uh, but smaller countries have slightly proportionally more seats uh, just to give them a bit more weight so they're not completely overwhelmed by the big nations now the parliament uh, uh, the European parliament uh, um, yes it is a democratic body but it actually doesn't have um, a hell of a lot of power within the uh, European Union uh, the, the actual power and decisions and the, uh, the executive body are all made up of um, people appointed uh, by uh, the heads and the ruling governments of of the various countries Um, and and although um, the European Parliament gets to vote on laws, uh, really it's those bodies above 
the um, European Parliament that have the greatest say. So unlike New Zealand, where Parliament is um, putting aside uh, the Queen, <laughs> who's technically our sovereign, basically Parliament is sovereign. Uh, Parliament gets aside what the laws are. Parliament gets aside who's on, uh, who the government is. So um, if a majority, a majority MPs in New Zealand back a Labour-led government, we have a Labour-led government. Um, um, a majority of um, European uh, parliament um, uh, parliamentarians don't get to decide who the executive and the government are, and generally don't get to decide who, who, what the laws are. Although having some input, what's the point? Uh, well, it gives it <laughs> it gives it a veneer of democracy, doesn't it? It's not just a, a club of the um, top leaders of the various European countries, um, and I guess the. Um, the argument is that as time goes on, more and more powers will be given to the European Parliament and it will become more of a, um, leaning towards more of a powerful body. Um, there's also the argument that it's really the um, bureaucratic commissions that have all the power in the EU. So the bureaucratic commissions that do the day-to-day -day work are uh, uh, below the executive. Uh, they actually, um, some appointed bureaucrat has far more power than uh, any elected. Um, member of the European Parliament. Now, obviously, arguably, you could say I'm being biased here, and that I, I do see the European Union as a deeply undemocratic and bureaucratic body, and I have a lot of sympathy towards um, people who want to leave it on that basis rather than on a racist, anti-immigrant, uh, anti-international basis. But I guess the argument would be that, well, it's still democratic in that the elected heads of state of each country are having the biggest input into the decisions made. Uh, so the, the executive um, conservative government in Britain and the uh, uh, government in Germany, they're having, at the end of the day, the greatest say in who gets appointed to the top bodies. So it's democratic in that sense, and it, which is indirect rather than directly. But yeah, again, yeah. But, but still, it's only a few certain countries within the EU that have that power. Yeah, so the argument is that it's it almost uh, like a new form of imperialism where Germany and France completely dominate, and, and even between Germany and France, it tends to be Germany that has all the say. So when economies crashed and burned in southern Europe, for example, uh, Germany was very much for pushing austerity, lending some money to back up those countries, but on the basis that they implement strict austerity programmes, regardless of whether the people in those countries wanted austerity or not or voted in austerity governments or not such as in Greece where they voted in a, arguably a far left coalition Syriza that, that stood on a platform that was going to refuse to abide by the European Union's push for austerity and then at, at the end of the day it, didn't, it seemed like it didn't have any choice they had to push through austerity or the EU would have uh, slammed them Slam dug them, <laughs> which is t uh, ridiculous. Um, okay, what about the the Brexit party? Uh, Farage, uh, he wants to leave. He wants to leave the mm. EU now. Um, he wants to leave with a no deal. He doesn't care how they get out. He just wants out. Mm. Um, he's a horrible weasel of a human. Um, terrible. Ter well, as far as I can see, maybe he's lovely. <laughs> maybe he's really nice. But you should have had that beer with him at the oh, local pub. <laughs> no, but anyway, any um, so he wants out, and you know, so well, if he gets into power in in for Britain in Europe, can he fast track that? 
can he create a bit of a mess for um, what Theresa May is trying to do? He can create a mess in terms of propaganda, uh, getting a, a whole He's host. already in European yeah, Parliament yeah, anyway, yeah. isn't he? So there's a whole host of MPs that were um, uh, under the UKIP banner, yeah. uh, as the UKIP, um, which was known for Raj's old party, as it's headed to the right, and, and, and has been open about incorporating more fascist elements, such as Tony Robinson, for example, who's a rather notorious, nasty, fascist-like uh, leader in Britain. Uh, he's now jumped on board with UKIP. Nigel Farage has left the party, wants nothing to do with them, and all, pretty much all of their um, uh, members in the European Parliament have left UKIP and are standing under the Brexit banner. Uh, so that includes Nigel Farage. Now, if, if they if they do as well as the polls are indicating, uh, which looks like, so Brexit Party are polling at 34%, this is terms of the European elections, Labour on 21%, and Conservatives collapsing to 11%. Wow. I mean, those are extraordinary figures. That gives him and his party huge weight to say we're far more representative than the other two major parties and and the vote has been for um, uh, pushing through with Brexit. Um, yes. So it's a huge pop, uh, propaganda coup even though he, possibly uh, he, the, um, they might not get to sit very long in the European Parliament if Brexit does happen because then um, uh, Britain would completely politically withdraws from all the European Union institutions. But it's a, it's a, it's a huge propaganda um, coup for him, just, just going on how successful the party and how much press they're getting at the moment. Mm, what's the turnout like, though? Um, yeah, it tends to be a, a bit lower for European elections and general elections. Uh, so, yes, there's a, lot, a whole lot of factors you can use against the significance of Brexit doing so well. Um, also, the fact that it's it's thirty four percent as well. That's far from a, a majority. Mm. Uh, it more it sees more significant than it is because Labour and the Conservatives are polling so um, poorly. Um, but nonetheless, it's going to make huge press in Britain if Brexit, the Brexit Party, does as well as it's looking like it's going to. Okay. Well, today, what's the date today? It's the thirteenth of May. How? What? Well, I mean, what's going on with Brexit at the moment? I mean, they got an extension through to June. I believe the last extension mm. went through to, to some date in June, so you know maybe a month to go before a deal should be done. Mm. Uh, we're moving towards anything? I, I, no, it's a, it's a complete stalemate at the moment. The the um, you, there needs to be a majority of um, of MPs in the British Parliament uh, voting for a proposed Brexit deal, which has been agreed between the government of Theresa May and the European Union. And Theresa May just can't get a majority of the MPs. She's, she's got to Labour, trying to uh, stitch up a deal with the Labour Party. Um, and, and that might happen. She might get a, an agreement. But then again, does Jeremy Corbyn actually have that type of control over the MPs to demand wow, that they vote <laughs> along with the Conservative government? So it could drag on and on, or it could just end up being a hard Brexit that uh, um, Britain is, is, is forced to leave with no deal. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what Nigel Farage is arguing for. He said if we can't get a deal, then there has to be no deal because the referendum, the majority of voters voted for Brexit. So um, if there's no deal, then we sh should still leave. And I guess um, 
if he does as well as it looks, like in the European elections, then in terms of, uh, of prop- the propaganda that he can push in the electorate, uh, then maybe MPs in the Parliament, British Parliament, will cave in. And it's also looking that, Bre- that the Brexit Party could um, do well in the general election. Mm. So uh, in the general election, Labour is on 28%. This is according to um, opinion polls. Labour 28%, Tories 22%, and the Brexit Party on 21%. So that's wow. for the general election wow. for, the, for the British Parliament. But that's, yeah, uh, uh, Brexit Party's coming in third there, but it could even creep up to well, uh, surpassing the Tories. Um, the problem is that their system is a first-past-the-post system, which is not proportional. Uh, so the way yeah. it works out, it's like our old system back in the nineties oh, and before. Social Democrat Party. Oh, yeah, for credit. Yes, where uh, a third party can do incredibly well, but then end up only getting one or two seats, yeah. even though it's got like it? twenty, thirty percent of the vote. Is that eighty-four when when um, the credit? Party got like twenty percent of the vote and got no MPs. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Um, oh, interesting. That that's that's oh, wow. That's kind of scary. Mm. Um, I think you know, but once you go through a hard Brexit, whatever happens, um, that country is pretty much kaputs. Yeah, it's, it's hard to know. It's hard to know how. Um, well, surely the economic power will drift from London to somewhere else. Mm. I mean, London's like through manipulation through years and years uh, after World War Two. Uh, you know, it's an economic powerhouse. It's it's the mm. home of, of of oil trading and, and money tra- money trading for for no good reason other than the fact that London pulled a lot of power. Um, if that power goes, the whole economic balance could shift away from there. Yeah, I, I guess the the argument is that if, if, if Britain, uh, if the economy collapses or goes into recession, it is going to affect the rest of Europe as well. Uh, it's not like um, uh, the rest of Europe is going to get away scot-free. No. Um, so there is still, whether a, 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 a non-negotiated Brexit would lead to the European Union putting up a whole lot of trade walls, etc., against Britain, we'll have to wait and see. It's, I would argue that it wouldn't be in the interest of those economies to try and completely punish Britain. No, but it would kind of be funny. Um, <laughs> it wouldn't be, because people would be homeless on the streets. Right, let's move along to South Africa. They had elections last mm. week. The ANC um, still in power. Uh, 19 seats less. Um, with uh, so they got 4.6% uh, less of the vote this time round. Um, turnout was reasonably low, um, mm. quite a fall actually. Only 65 uh, or 66% of uh, those eligible to vote voted, uh, and last time it was 73.5. But um, still a big win for the uh, ANC. But you kind of have a feeling it's kind of the last chance, the last roll of the dice for that party if this new leader can't come in and clean up their act. Uh, next time round, you may see 40% of the vote. Mm, and there were arguments that the, if the previous leader, Jacob Zuma, had remained um, president of South Africa and head of the African National Congress at ANC, that their vote would have slipped below 50% because he was seen as, as so corrupt and to as, to not have delivered on, on the more left-leaning economic policies that he was seen to have championed. Oh, he had uh, to pay for his house somehow. <laughs> Yes, true. So, well, yeah, it's probably um, 
this is a legitimate vote. So a lot of countries where you have one party dominating, it's because that party's corrupt and it stitches up the rules, such as in countries like um, Singapore, uh, where the dominant party basically gerrymanders all over the place and stitches up the rules, so it, bec- it always wins. This isn't the case in, in South Africa, but the reason why the ANC is so dominant is because it, it was the main political force that, uh, that fought against apartheid. Mm. Uh, so apartheid was a system where only the minority white population uh, had, had any right to vote uh, to to be um, in, in institutions of government, and um, even a large part, most of the black population, if not all the black population, weren't even counted as citizens. They had these, this farcical situation where they said they had homelands, and that's, these were separate countries to yeah. South Africa, even though they were clearly a part of South Africa. Yeah, you know, so the, the ANC has that legacy. Uh, which gives it moral weight, uh, which is, um, which has allowed it to continue to get more than fifty percent of the vote. And what, you know, back in the early days, it was more like seventy percent plus. But with uh, continuing levels of uh, of inequality, of poverty, um, and especially uh, growing inequality within the black population. So it's interesting. The current um, leader of the ANC, Cyril Rama. Uh, Posa uh, was an old um, union, left-wing union activist back in the uh, um, days when uh, you had apartheid. He's now uh, a multi-multi-millionaire um, uh, and, and, and so you've got this very rich um, privileged black layer in South Africa whereas the majority of the population lives in third world squalor. Mm. Um, and there's even a small percentage of the white population now that lives in uh, third world style squalor. Uh, so the, although blacks have been empowered politically with the collapse of apartheid, economically it's still... There's a ruling elite. Yeah, which is, is economically still predominantly white, Yeah, uh, but with some key black figures as well. Um, and where um, the white population has... Um, First world living standards, as long as well as a small black percentage of the population has very much first world living standards, whereas the majority of the population lives in third world conditions. Yeah, shocking, absolutely shocking. It's been how many years now? Yeah, it's been several decades now. It has been, so there's no excuse anymore. Um, why do we care? Um, well, uh, South Africa has a special connection to New Zealand. Um, during the apartheid era, um, um, uh, the left in general and, and, and social justice movements and Māori organisations, for example, uh, led big campaigns uh, against apartheid. And because of those rugby links, those cultural links, where, um, you know, when, say, my dad or my granddad were, were uh, younger, South Africa versus the, the Springboks versus All Blacks was one of the major sporting events for this country. Well, it country. was, because we always lost. Um, but the, th- the interesting thing is, yes, there was the big uprising, the thing of 81, the Springbok mm. tour, uh, and the like, but there was also large parts of the population that didn't really have an issue. There were large parts of the population that were that would effectively supported white rule. Yeah, uh, there was, there was, and there's uh, one thing that, 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 that's, that, that's one thing that we've kind of forgotten about. And there were, yes. like, and, and if we go with the rugby way too, there was the Cavaliers tour and 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 um, hmm. whatever year it was, I can't remember now, mm. it was eighty six or something. Uh, and that was Pine Tree. 
Mm. You know, Colin Meads led a team over there of all white players mm. because they couldn't play and they wanted to play South Africa. Mm. And you, uh, people would used to argue, maybe disingenuously, that you should keep uh, politics out of sports. So New Zealand should have remained contacts with South Africa. However, uh, politics was completely mixed with sport in South Africa. Mm. Uh, and uh, for example, there was, I think it was up to the early 70s, um, South African rugby demanded that no Māori players were yeah. included in the All Black teams and discussed um, New Zealand Rugby Union agreed to that. Yes, uh, yes. After that, uh, Māori were made um, honorary whites for the period that they were in South Africa. Um, but still, uh, yeah, a shocking, disgusting and racist uh, um, um, platform that the South African Rugby Union was using. So... In terms of importance also, there's the fact that South Africa is the second biggest economy in Africa. Uh, Africa is seen as a, um, sort of like the, the new Asia, is in, a, in a, an area of the world that's going through rapid economic growth and could become more and more economically important. Um, South Africa has a dominant position over large parts of the rest of Africa. Oh, definitely. The um, ANC has sways a lot of power throughout the, throughout the country. Yeah, so almost a, almost a sort of neo-imperialist role where, yeah. where South Africa can uh, have an input into the politics of other countries, like Zimbabwe, for example, mm, where yes. it backed um, uh, the dictatorship in Zimbabwe for, for years and years. I haven't looked, at, I haven't looked into what's happening there at the moment. I just want to mention one other thing, yes. Um, you know the Olympic, uh, the African Olympic boycott, mm. and, and that was all because um, the of UN, New yeah, the UN begged us not to go and play South Africa in South Africa in 1975 or something, and we did. Mm. We went, and so African nations boycotted the Olympics in 1976 because of New Zealand. Well done. You know, these are things. You know, <laughs> I mean, yes, we we. You know, there was a large swathe of the left, but you even you look at the people that were against the Springbok tour. There was heaps. You mm. know, people mm. were were really. I mean, I mean, sorry, against the protests. Mm. It's crazy. Anyway, um, so that's happened. It's interesting. We'll see what happens if the new leader doesn't get things up to scratch. Maybe the ANC is going to be, you know, just another bit player. Maybe you know the. Um, um, well, the, the the party that's challenging them most significantly is the Economic Freedom Fighters, which represents a left-wing populist split-off from the ANC and, and pushes, a, um, on the face of it, almost a sort of Marxist-type line of, of needing an anti-capitalist party for the working class and the poor that's going to uh, nationalise all the farmland without compensation. It's most of the farmland still controlled by a tiny white minority. It's going to nationalise key industry like the... Um, the, the coal industry um, um, however the, the economic freedom fighters also have yeah I guess you could argue um, a, a, almost a right wing populist side to them where, where they have, where they have pushed sort of racial politics as well um, um, which interesting the ANC didn't used to do it used to counter those sort of mm. um, uh, black movements in South Africa that said this is all about blacks versus whites and, and they pushed a more, um, almost a more class perspective at times, ANC, whereas the economic freedom fighters at times does use sort of um, uh, rhetoric that uh, um, is along racial lines. Yeah, and, then you, and if that happens, you wait for those Kiwis that go, oh, those poor white South Africans are being yes. beautiful, all that conspiracy bullshit. Um, hey, thanks. Anyway, we've run out of time. We're going to talk about the Spanish elections, but all you need to know is there's an uprising in the right wing the fifth biggest party now in Spain, 
Uh, Mussolini would be proud. Yes. I mean, not Mussolini, but um, Franco. Yes, the fascists are back in Spain. Yeah, yeah, they're back everywhere. It's mm. sad to say. What happened to memories? Hey, what happened? Oh, to yes. What happened to remembering the past? Learn oh, by their own mistakes. I guess, I guess there's a percentage of the population in all those countries that are nostalgic for that fascist past. Oh god, it's ridiculous! It's ridiculous. The same people think that socialism is communism. They're This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.